Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another session uh, in the podcast series of the Alchemy Lab with me, Colm Holland. Um, I'm the author of a book that's just been published called The Secret of the Alchemist. And the one of the reasons why I've called my podcast The Alchemy Lab is that it's a metaphor, in a way, for introducing some amazing people who during their lifetimes have gone through what the alchemists call transmutation or transformation. And um, my guest today is no exception from that. Um, my guest is a very, very um, experienced consultant psychotherapist, which is fantastic. In fact, I think um, this is the first time we've had a, somebody who's been involved in psychotherapy for, for the amount of time that he has. Um, and so I want to introduce um, the amazing um, Martin Wells. Welcome, Martin. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I notice you've got a few grey things sticking out of your <laughs> head like, like I do. So we, we've been around together, I, I think, think um, <laughs> doing on different paths, but during the same sort of period in history uh, sure. of our lives. Now, you are um, based in Bristol, correct? Yes. And you are a teaching and supervising transactional analyst and we'll get you to explain to sure. folk what what that is because i don't think everybody maybe has heard of one of those and yeah. you've been studying specifically meditation for the last 30 years in various shapes and form mm -hmm. but you're also uh, working in the nhs which for our non-british listeners the nhs is the equivalent of the well it is the national health service Mm. which is um, state-owned in the UK. Well, at the moment, still, <laughs> yeah. we, we, won't get, we won't get into that subject. Um, yeah. But you've been working there as a consultant uh, psychotherapist during that time. And yeah. there in particular, you, um, you say that you integrate the non-dual teachings um, with psychotherapy. And we'll get you to explain that in, in mm. just a moment. You're also a founder of TA... Um, spiritual which again we'll ask you to explain but you run retreats you've run retreats all all over Europe and in India um, so welcome Thank you. Um, I've got a feeling we're gonna have lots to talk about I think we might we may be gonna run out of time we might need a second session at some point um, but tell us a little bit about your day-to-day -day work hmm um, well, my, my NHS work um, at the moment, uh, actually all from home, so it's, on, it's online, but um, it's, a, it's a range of um, uh, individual therapy, uh, group therapy, which is uh, mindfulness, and um, uh, usually supervision groups as well, or, or teaching uh, seminars, etc. So that's the sort of range of my NHS work. And do you want to explain a little bit of what what is TA Spiritual? Uh, you're you're the founder. Is this a, a school? What is this? Um, it, it, TA TA stands for Transactional Analysis, which is uh, very briefly it's Eric Burns' uh, teachings from the 1960s, games people play, um, and he he was a, a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist, very informed by psychoanalysis. Who, who thought that we could, we could draw a lot of information from, from very small amounts of a conversation, from transactions. 
and and of course that uh, that's been in the tradition of psychotherapy so um, it, it's more been a, a psychological uh, process and for me when I started learning about it the spiritual aspect of it was was missing really so so uh, I just started um, it's not really an organization it, it's more of a, a concept that, that people can relate to in terms of what, do, what does it mean to apply spirituality to transactional analysis? Okay. Now, in your description of what you do, you, uh, and I quoted it here, that you integrate um, mm. non-dual teaching with psychotherapy. So were, normally, are they separate? Or is there a, is there a form of psychotherapy that doesn't include um, non-dual teaching. Do you want to explain to us a little bit yes. about both? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think in some ways it's quite unusual for non-duality to be part of psychotherapy. Okay. You, usually we're talking about, well, we're, we're, we're talking about um, two people in the room engaged in change in, in terms of um, one helping the other change. Now, a non-dual perspective um, offers something quite radically different, really. So from a non-dual perspective as a therapist, I'm not really trying to do anything, and I'm not really trying to help the person change or do anything. Because, because what I'm more doing, if I'm doing anything, is affirming that they're already where they need to be. They're already in a sense their true nature is, is is who they are and the and the rest of it is is fiction is a narrative it's it's a story not that i would ignore those stories but 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 that's not fundamentally who we are so so a non-dual therapist is is interested in true nature beyond the personal story okay in my book, The Secret of the Alchemist, and we're going to come on to your book in a moment, but I just wanted to say, um, yeah. I explore the whole concept of, of true self because, mm. I've, like you, I've been a student of Carl Jung for many years. Um, I'm, I'm not a qualified psychoanalysis, but um, I've applied his teaching yeah. and his principles to my own life and, and shared that with others. And in my book, yeah. I talk about that and how he was influenced by alchemy. Mm a long time, lifetime student of the principles of alchemy. And in alchemy, one of the things that, that they, that, that ancient wisdom teaches is that there, there needs to be um, in the psyche and a marriage yes. between what the, what the alchemists called the sun and the moon or the king and the queen or the male and the female. And, yes. and in that marriage, out of that marriage, comes this thing called the philosopher's child yeah. and the philosopher's child is their terminology for what Carl Jung would call the, what you just mentioned is the true self yes so yeah. how um what do we do then so we are you're saying that we are our true self yes yeah. we don't need to become our true self yeah. but is there still a sense of discovery of, yeah, do you want to explain that? Yes, yes. Um, well, there was a sculptor that was once asked, how did he sculpt the horse? And he said, 
well, I just took away the bits that weren't holes. <laughs> and and it, in a sense, that's what we're talking about. So the true self is, is the, the core, the, ho the horse, what we really are. But of course, there's a lot of layers of conditioning and personal narratives and what we think we are or what we're told we are by caretakers and schools and culture, etc. So in a way, it's a stripping away of what we're not. Um, and in the Hindi tradition, that's called neti neti, mm -hmm. not this, not that. Mm -hmm. And in Christianity, it's called negation. So we, we're stripping away the, the false self to reveal the true self. So there's nowhere to go and find it. it it's, it's already there. It's just obscured. Well, you, you may not believe this, but I actually deliberately, on my own, took a year out of life from work and did a year's dark night of the soul. Did you? I did indeed, yes, and I talk, I talk about it in my book. I do not recommend it, by the way, as a, as a, as a process of, to, to engage in, in isolation. Yes. I, I did have a couple of people I checked in with every month or so. Wow. But I, I made the decision on my own. I was reading Thomas Merton. Oh, yes. And, of course, he introduced me through his work, his, his writings, to St. John of the Cross. Yes, yes. Which is where the phrase, with the poem, the classic poem, um, The Dark Night of the Soul. So that was um, probably the most horrendous, um, inconvenient thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> where it's I, probably an understatement. Yeah, where I had a had the hand on the chain ready to pull the plug and say, okay, enough of this, I'm out of this. This is, yeah. let's go back to being... Yeah. Let's go back to being the pretend me, yes. because that's more comfortable. But I, yes. I stuck with it, and I, and I guess I wouldn't have written my book, The Secret of the Alchemist, if it had not been that I'd stuck with that journey. Um, yes. And in the original book, The Alchemist by Paolo Kahler, which is the book that I'm, I'm critiquing mm -hmm. as well, um, the young boy makes a similar journey. He leaves his tribe, he leaves his sheep mm -hmm. who represent his peers, and mm. goes to, in the metaphor, he goes to North Africa, which is the, the journey of alchemy. And alchemists knew all about yes. your, what you're talking about, this discovery of the true self. Now, let's talk about your book, because yes. that's one of the main reasons we're here. Today. Um, love it, by the way. Love Thank the you. title. Thank um, you. It wasn't what I was expecting. Um, so your book, Martin, is called Sitting in the Stillness. Yeah. And it's available if you Google, you'll find it comes up on all great online bookshops. Um, Sitting in the Stone. It's a book, the, the, the surprise. I thought you were going to do some theoretical treatise <laughs> on um, Eastern meditation, but, it, but it's not. Mm. What I love about it is it's a book of real stories, of real people's stories. Um, yes. from, your, from your clients, of course, anonymously, you've disguised, yes. so you know, nobody gets hurt in the retelling of these. Yes. Yes. Um, some individuals, but some uh, couples, people with partners as well. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. um, how far back do some of these stories go? How many years back? Um, is it a lifetime of your work or is it more recent? No, um, one goes back probably 15 years, something like that. 
but the rest the rest really came very quickly after my own sort of realization and my own transformation really so and and that was a bit like a tap being turned on and story after story came and as as you say very real stories told articulately by the people themselves really so um it, that was quite extraordinary and 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 i hadn't really set out to write a book i'd set out to write an article about the one of the first story and then it just you know just had a momentum of its own really okay now i'm not going to let you off the hook okay i'm renowned for getting once i got you on a hook i'm going to keep Good. you there and you can wriggle, wriggle as much as you like. Um, we're going to hang, hang you in there. So you just said that this came, this flowed after a personal awareness mm. experience, a personal transformation experience. Would yes. you like to, like to tell us about that? Yes, yes, of course. Um, I was a member of a meditation network for about 20, 25 years broadly what's called in the progressive path of meditation so there was a sort of uh, the teachings were, were leading us somewhere if we continued there was somewhere that we would get to in a sense and um, it made a huge impact on my life I learned a lot of things but I it came to the point where it, it just didn't feel right anymore and that's when I met uh, my colleague and mentor Jean-Marc Montel at a conference. Um, and he, he stood up at the conference and said, um, in order to be a psychiatrist, you must completely forget you're a psychiatrist. And then he didn't say anything else for two minutes, something like that. And then he said something else equally controversial and powerful, really. And that afternoon, really, all my sort of searching and an attempt to find something out there fell away, literally fell away, so that there was a there was a profound stopping and a and a peacefulness and a stillness that he he had pointed to really i mean no one no one can take us there, but he he pointed he pointed there and and my sort of version of the dark night of the soul was was to leave the organization that i'd been in for 25 years mm. i was a senior member of that organization felt a loyalty and and a, an infection it was it was very powerful but looking back there was there was no freedom unless i left and and it was a very painful yeah, it was a it was a dark night. There were there was conflict, and there was uh, inside me there was a sense of you know betrayal. Am I letting people down, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So it was a very challenging time, and in equal measure, and I think this is the sort of alchemical aspect of it. In equal measure, it was liberating, and I haven't haven't felt that free ever in my my life. So you, you say in your book that he said, um, you are not your story. Yes. It is a fiction. Yeah. Um, inquire into who and what you really are. So that, yeah. that was the transformational statement. Yeah. Yes. Just then, why did that 
mean that you didn't pursue the type of meditation activity that you were engaged in? I think a lot of people who are listening yeah. Have, yeah. are using meditation daily or, and, or yoga practices, I know for a fact. So yes. is that, are you saying these aren't of, of much value or, or uh, I think we might need to clarify this a bit. Yeah, yeah no, no, it's a really, really important question actually. Yeah. Um, the, the, the reason that Jean-Marc talks about the story and, and in personal terms, my story was like a lot of other people's to fundamentally not feel good enough. Um, my, my mother's German and I grew up in the 1950s and, uh, and there was a sense of there being something wrong with me and I had to hide being German for, for obvious reasons in a sense. So, so I was drawn to therapy and social work as a way of helping people and feeling better about myself in the process. And also then joining a community and a network, a, a, a meditation network, where there was a sense of, ah, oh, if I do this, not only do I belong, but also I can improve myself. I can make myself better because I don't feel fundamentally good about myself. And when that fell away, uh, of course, then there's, there's nowhere to go with meditation. That doesn't mean you stop meditating, but, but it, means that, it means that you just be present again with the true nature. And, and then it's more to do with presence than going anywhere. It's a different focus then in the meditative. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So many people, I, I believe, who I talk to every day, um, are using meditation in the way that, mm. in, that, in that secondary way that you just described, which is... Yeah. It is a yeah. way of, of centering and grounding. Yes. It's old fashioned terms for mindfulness. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm glad, I'm glad we, we cleared that up. Um, the practice then of mindfulness, hmm. which, which you teach, which is a phrase that is probably more recent. Um, yeah. For those of us that have been um, talking about it in other ways in the past. Um, enables us, you say in your book, to see the world as it really is. And that is that all things are one. What does that mean in your day-to-day -day journey from, from mm. dawn, dawn to dusk? How, how, does, you know, how does that in a practical way when you're working, when you're yes. the, with your family and so on, what, what does that yeah. mean? Well, Probably the, the easiest way to talk about that is, is if we return to the, to the idea of neti neti or not, or, or not this, not that, then in practical terms, in, in everything I do, there's that, there's that theme of um, in order to be a psychiatrist, you have to forget you're a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. In order to be a therapist, you have to forget you're a therapist. You're not in the role of therapist. In order to be a husband, you're not trying to play the role of husband. You're, you're being that from, from your true nature. In order to be a parent, you know, there needs to be a certain absence of ego in order for the right thing to, to emerge. 
so so in practical terms i'm i'm sort of aware as i'm sitting with people talking to people living life of 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 where ego might interrupt might separate me because when that awareness happens then there's an awareness of the interconnectedness of everyone and everything so if we're interconnected and we're mindful then of our that we are just part of one thing yes that immediately then just diffuses judgment and yes. criticism and so on now in my book the secret of the alchemist and i'm noticing in a lot of the stories of your clients then there is this reference to the shadow the shadow yes. self the, yes so for those listening who are not familiar with carl young carl young was the big advocate of the role of the unconscious in, mm. in our daily life and that mm. our mind, the brain is made up of conscious and the unconscious, but, but the bulk, <laughs> the biggest part of the, of the, of the mind is the unconscious yeah. and coming to an awareness of what's going on in there is one of the ways of, to freedom in yes. fact, um, yes. and to the to discovery of, of the self. So just mm. to, to go back then briefly, mm to the shadow self mm. um do you do you talk specifically with your clients about how we project so it particularly with the couples in your yes. book do you want to yes. explain how how what, it, what projection is and how that can destroy yes. relationships yes well um it's interesting I, I, I had a conversation this afternoon with someone um uh, and it it was a, quite a clear example of, of how how the uh, the story has a self fulfilling prophecy aspect mm. to it. Mm. And again, this is the unconscious. So so unconsciously, for an ex for example, someone might say, "No one listens to me," and they might get louder and louder and more dramatic. But deep down, they have an unconscious belief that they're not going to be heard. Yep. So, and that's of course, and Jung and Freud were um, amazing at bringing that to our consciousness, yep. that, that the unconscious has such an influence on, on our lives. And, and in terms of projection, of course, yes, from the story, we project out onto others, people from our personal drama. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we see that classically with couples, because of course, you know, that's that's where the most intimate exchanges happen, mm -hmm. and that's where the projections most happen. Now, I think what Jung brought more than anyone was that a wonderful sense of that as a creative process. Yep. That's that's the beauty of that. I mean, people often see it as a problem, and on a functional level, it's a problem or a failure of communication or something like that. Of course we can see it like that. But actually, it's, it's us seeking freedom from those projections, from what we're caught with. And what better way to do that than to project them onto someone else and then try and manage them in that, in that sense. So a lot of the work, and you described the practical aspects of the work, a lot of the work would be to, to encourage people to embrace what's projected as them. So 
in a way, hopefully to stop projecting onto the other and, and claim it back in that sort of unification of, of the self. Brilliant. Um, I am cooking something in the lab. Um, those yes. who are regular listeners will know that um, I'm usually, so I'm just stirring, stirring something up here in the, over on the side. Um, and it is um, a potion um, that I'm calling Mind for Me. And you talk a lot in your book about reaching this state of, of, this, of, this, of sitting in the stillness. Mm. And I don't, want to, I don't want us to not talk about that. Mm. So let's imagine that one of the things, this Mind for Me potion that I'm cooking up um, in the lab is going to enable me to, to better sit. Yes. In the so when I, how do I know when I'm sitting in the stillness and, and how do I get to that point? Yeah. Yes. That's really helpful. Um, the first thing to say is, is that stillness is fundamental to us. So again, there's, there's nowhere to go and find it. There's no, nothing to develop. There's no skills. It's, it's inherent. It's, it's fundamental to us. You wouldn't think that looking at our society, would you? You wouldn't. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that's, it's sort of manic, isn't it? And, mm. um, and we could maybe come to it, but the whole lockdown thing, I think, was really interesting from the point of view of stopping us, keeping us more, more mm. still in that sense. Mm. But it's, yes, it's fundamental to us. So the, the process of mindfulness is, is that process of, of watching the agitation, watching the little movements of the mind, watching the sensations in the body, or listening or watching. And the listener is that stillness. The observer is that stillness. So fundamentally, as, as soon as we're present and aware, noticing and accepting the fundamentals of, of mindfulness, the ingredients of mindfulness, if you like, for your for your lab, then then we can trust that that takes us to that fundamental state of stillness, because it's the stillness that observes. So when um, so when I'm meditating or when mm -hmm. I'm putting myself in a in a time of, of stillness, um, I'm not battling then with the thoughts that. Uh, I'm, what am I doing? I'm accepting them. Yes. Using yeah. them as insights into what I'm dealing with as a, as a, as a true self, the things, yeah. the things that need maybe embracing and healing. Is that what you're, you're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, there's a nice little story of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, who's the Vietnamese Buddhist mindfulness teacher. And he, he had his nephew around to, play with some other little kids they're only about five or six and the nephew poured out some apple juice some freshly squeezed apple juice into some glasses and because he was the host he got his last and it was completely cloudy with the sediment so uh, so he said oh, oh uncle monk what shall i do and Thich Nhat Hanh says well just just go out and play and come back and, and see see what's happened and the little lad comes back and of course all the sediments just gone to the, to the bottom of the glass and he says oh has it been meditating like you uncle monk <laughs>
So oh, he's absolutely, okay. absolutely understood the process. So it, it's gravity that has it. It's, it's fundamental. And any doing, the trouble with any doing or any struggling is, is it's, it's not stillness. It's, it's activity. It's agitation. You're like a snow globe. If you put a snow globe, you just set it down and then it, it settles. Okay. There is one character in your book that I want to quote, if I may. Yeah. Um, it's Superwoman. Do you want to just quickly tell us a little bit of the background of Superwoman, why she came to you? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, this is a, a colleague who came for supervision. And um, she's a, a, a consultant colleague. And she was driving to work and got to halfway there and just thought, I can't, I can't go in. Um, and she stopped in a lay-by um, and just thought to herself, I'm, I'm having a breakdown. Um, it was in the context of a, of a, a very uh, complaining and litigious family who, who were, were very, making her life very difficult. And here she was, very competent, very able, um, very, very professional and open-hearted woman. And she just sort of hit this brick wall, really. And she she went to her GP. Um, she's a psychiatrist, so she thought, "Do I need medication, or what? Do, what do I need here? Do I need to take some time off work?" Which she did take a bit of time off work. But the the, the key thing I don't know if you were going to quote this, but the key thing was when she came to see me, she said. The difference was I didn't see fearlessness, fear in your eyes. I saw a fearlessness. Yeah. And, and, and that, I think, really is on the theme of alchemy because I think we can trust these processes. It was her dark night of the soul. Yep. We can trust them to transform us. In that, and then in that chapter, we, she describes how that really changes her in, in, in all sorts of ways. But you prove the point that I make in my book is that actually one of the wonderful things about all things being one and us being connected through the, um, the collective unconscious is yeah. that you, you, you were at the alchemist, to use the, the metaphor of the story of the alchemist when he's at the oasis, Santiago's at the oasis, and the alchemist comes on his horse, his white stallion, uh, with his hawk and his sword, um, love love that imagery. Yeah, that was you for Superwoman. I'm just going to read what she says. Following on, I mean, she says, "Yes, I did not observe the same fear in your eyes." Just as Santiago um, was was scared to even look into the eyes of the alchemist because he thought it would make him fearful. But you know, on the contrary, yes. Uh, he didn't see fear, he felt trust. And, and she says this about you, that it was your complete trust in the process and your belief that mm. this is an opportunity that has allowed my anxiety to settle, as you just said in that lovely analogy of the apple juice. Yes. But initially, only for short periods of time, but in turn, it created a stillness within me. Mm. From this stillness, I have been able to explore my feelings, and my beliefs and my values, I became more curious. I realized that by developing strategies to avoid stress and anxiety, 
I have inadvertently numbed um, to these emotions by positive, uh, both positive and negative. And I began yeah. to recognize that I had continued to use these strategies to keep me safe, but they were outdated and they were now unhelpful. Mm. And I realized that the six year old within that I was protecting uh, was no longer there. Yes. And I felt like layers of complexity had been stripped away and I got in touch with my own core sense of self. And even in the depths of despair, I think I realized that this might be a gift. Mm. So um, that is just a wonderful um, statement by her. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, and, and as we read through your book, we discover that this is, you know, a, a regular occurrence. Yes. How many people are there in the NHS, <laughs> Martin, doing what you do? I mean, I'm a bit worried that when you when you hang up your boots and you decide you're, you're getting too too old for this, um, are you are you managing to mentor? Are they are they young younger people in particularly in parts of the country where the yes. more deprived parts of the country where people can yes. get this sort of help? I mean, obviously, it's it's limited the, the sphere of influence that that I have. But it's interesting you say that. The, um, a, a psychiatrist colleague who does a lot of teaching for the trust uh, said, uh, "I've got a, a medical." student who you might like to talk to who's got very interested in non-duality etc and 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 he was writing he had to write an essay for his his, his medical training his psychiatry training and we had a couple of lovely exchanges and he was really uh, interested and passionate about these ideas probably 22 23 something like that mm. and i i think there is there's a a growing interest uh, along alongside our what you, you mentioned it earlier about our sort of uh, our, our cultural busyness and uh, and our acquis acquisitions and, uh, and celebrity there's a there's a tiredness to that i think and there is an interest in in something something deeper and something beyond that really there's a, a, a renewed interest because of COVID in, in what I call the village again. Yeah. And I, I was one of the very first um, adopters of the internet back in 1990. Yeah, so um, if, if you read my book, The Secret of the Alchemist, I, when I met Paolo in 1993, and uh, so I met Paolo Kelo in 1993, and I was actually the first person to read his 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 manuscript in English, ah. because I I caught the vision. I was the first person he said um, in the English language to actually catch the vision that this was going to be a bestseller, mm. and I engineered things in HarperCollins in a way that to make sure that we gave it um, <laughs> that perspective. And and he really? thanked me, and the way he thanked me was to do a day of his alchemy magic on my behalf, and that's <laughs> that's the original. That's the origins of this. That's where this book began. And um, one of the things that I tried to pioneer, which has now become morphed into things like Facebook and um, mm. Instagram social networks, was this concept of community. Yes. 
the, the, diff, the thing about what we were trying to do in those early days in the internet was that we were trying to build camaraderie and build interdependence. And so we, we were there for one another. Mm. Sadly, this is you know, so much of, of social network has become, you know, still is that, uh, which is wonderful, but other parts yes. of it have become, you know, this is a place for us to project yes. our shadow and <laughs> point the finger and yeah, disagree. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what I think as long as I've got an opinion um, yes. approach to life. And I think, yes, I think I agree with you that we've probably mm. moved into a time maybe when we, we can reflect, but hopefully the people who, who, who need to reflect on that are, are taking the opportunity to, to see yeah. how destructive that is and how we can rebuild hopefully from yeah. from this one i'm going to give you the last word <laughs> is there any anything in particular that you'd like us to we, we're almost out of time so is there anything you'd like us to take away to think about for the rest of you know after listening to you today what what would you like us to think about it's funny what what comes to mind when uh, I, ne I nearly said it earlier on there's a little Zen poem that I that um, I really like and says a lot about this type of meditation, really, because of course in Zen they call it just sitting, literally just sitting, and and the little poem runs: um, nothing to do, nowhere to go, no one to be, and I just found that really sort of profound in, in in helping us stop you know as you say there's all that busyness isn't there so there usually is something to do there usually is somewhere to go and there definitely is someone to be so to 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 allow the deep meaning of that poem and meditation i think is yeah it's the definition of sitting in the stillness maybe your next book will be called zen and the art of psychoanalysis <laughs> um, but that would be a good one thank you martin for writing this book so everybody just to refresh um, your memory this is called sitting in the stillness and it's by uh, my wonderful guest martin wells and it's being published on the 1st of september have i got that right no no it's um it's already out it's already out oh okay fantastic uh, end of february came out Fantastic. So there's no excuse. We can order it today. Go to Amazon, everybody now. Order it on Amazon or your favorite online bookstore if you don't like Amazon. It's it's everywhere where all good books are sold. Um, have you got an ebook as well as a Kindle version? Yeah, there's a Kindle version as well as the, the book, yeah. Have you thought about doing an audio book, Martin? I'm putting you on the spot. No, yes. A couple of people have asked me actually. Yes. Yeah. I, I haven't I don't know what's involved, but uh, yeah. Um, you could get you could get some of those clients of yours to anonymously come in and and voice over their parts. That would be that would make for an, an interesting audiobook. Thank you, Martin, so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for inviting me. We wish you every success with the book and also in your work and and for the future there in the NHS. Thank, Thank you. you, and to your book too. Thank you.